18 years ago, I had a friend who uh, was also a worship leader in our church, and uh, we had an ever so slight, at least in my mind, I imagine ever so slight disagreement about uh, policies regarding music. And I said so, and it escalated, and they left the church. And his wife sent me a nice letter and said, you know, he was coming to love God, and he will never love God again because of you, James. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's really, I'm in the job of trying to help people. I mean, this is my calling to help people fall in love with God. And so that is a weight I carry and have a difficult time letting go of. And so what's interesting about step eight and step nine, okay, taking a step back from that story, I'll, I'll let you absorb that story. I've been absorbing it for 18 years and someday... I've let go of it in many ways, but in many ways it's not something I easily can let go of. I mean, when you, when, when you think about the import of what your words might be. So, by the way, be careful what you say. Uh, you know, remember that little children's song? Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, yeah, okay, well, if you don't remember it, yeah, don't even try. Um, the, there's, we're reading this book together. Before I read the scripture to you, we're reading this book together, and we invited you to read it, and some of us are actually doing a small group to it on Thursday nights, uh, by Richard Rohr, called Breathing Underwater. It's spirituality in the 12 steps, and it takes the 12 steps of AA, and it breaks them down into spiritual understandings uh, that go for us. So often, we can always point to somebody who's addicted to something in an obvious way, someone something like drugs or alcohol, and we're like... Boy, I'm glad I'm not like that, except that you are. You're addicted to the way you think. You're addicted to your ability to judge everybody you come in contact with because of the color of their skin or because of the way they look or because of who they worship or don't worship. You know, we're all addicted. And so what Richard is quick to tell us is you need to get over yourself and let God transform you. Well, step eight last week that James preached about was making a careful list about those with whom you make amends. This one is, is, uh, this is a little more nuanced, and it's still about making amends, because step nine is made direct amends, made direct amends to people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So, you hear that? Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Sometimes it's better not to try to make amends than it is to make amends. And part of your discerning from the list you make of those to whom you ought to make amends is whether or not it's appropriate for you to do so or not. Directly. Because to do so directly. When I think of the person about whom I just spoke, and some of you know who that is, and otherwise, if you don't know who it is, it's perfectly fine, you don't know, and I'd rather not say names. Um, but um, 
There's no direct way I can ever, if indeed what his wife wrote to me about what I did, he was just beginning to fall in love with God, and he will never love God now because of you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because it hurts so badly. I'd rather not cry for you. Um, uh, I can't be the one to say I'm sorry. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he lives now. I don't have any way of being in contact. For all I know, he could be watching. I keep having these dreams where we meet each other. And I say, I don't have any words for how stupid I was then. Can you chalk it up to being 18 years younger and foolish? You know. Well, James, you are in your... 30s, how young and foolish, how, how, when do you get past being young and foolish? Apparently for me, I haven't crossed that line yet, and I'm 56. So, um, you know, I keep having, I periodically have dreams, and one of my most recent senses of healing is we had a conversation in which I felt that I let go of it, finally, you know. Uh, so I want to read to you uh, from uh, uh, the epistle of James, which, by the way, was one that if our first reformer of the church had his way, wouldn't be in the Bible. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer of the church, said, this doesn't belong in the Bible. This uh, doesn't go with what I want to say. You know how you don't want to take the parts out of the Bible that don't go with what you think about God? You know, I want to take this part out. Can we take out like these 60 chapters here in the middle? You know, for some people it's like the whole entire Old Testament. I like Psalm 23, can we just tear the rest out? You know, and by the way, while we're at it, I'm, you know, Martin Luther would have said, James, he called it the epistle of straw. <laughs> uh, he was not fond of it. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe not, you're not fond of it either, but tough. I'm reading it to you from, so today, so you're just like, uh, you're stuck with me. So I want to share a couple of different passages from the book of James because I found them really uh, meaningful. Uh, in chapter uh, in chapter 2, this can't be chapter 2, it must be chapter 2, because it is chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says, You do well when you fulfill, really fulfill the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we talk about that all the time as the second greatest commandment, but do you really love your neighbor as yourself? And, you know, we have psychologized it in the 20th century and the 21st century to mean love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's not what it says. Love your neighbor as yourself. When I hurt you, I hurt me. When I hurt you, I hurt everybody alive. When I hurt that person I mentioned before, I did damage not only to myself and that person, but to everybody connected to us and people we don't even know. Because the ripples of damage we do to one another, we're all connected by the love of God. It breaks. It breaks our relationship. So if you love somebody as yourself, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hurt myself. <laughs> and I don't want to hurt them and thereby others. Because the entire family was affected by something I did then. It goes on to say, we all make mistakes often. Did you hear that? We all make mistakes often. 
Maybe, maybe that's not, doesn't include you. Maybe it's just me that I'm part of the we and the rest of you are okay. But I think that's covered. We all make mistakes often, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. Apparently, the words are the key section of what we do with our lives. Most of the amends that I feel like I need to make in life is not because I slighted somebody just by passing them by, but because of something I said. And oftentimes, something stupid I said. I can think of now, crossing my mind, at least three instances in my life of words I have said that can never be taken back. Never, ever, never, ever taken back. I'm so glad God will never let me down, we just sang about, because I let God down. And I let you down, and I let the world down in many ways. Uh, the entire universe, if I think we're all connected in the way I think that we are. The, the truth about making amends in our lives, in the brokenness of our lives, is we are all called to look at one another in the deepest sense of love, to recognize the image of God that is in every other living human being, and to live into that image, to love that image, to learn to see that image, to recognize that there are times when I can make amends for the words I've said, and there are people I will never, ever be able to make amends with. It's probably something of mine up there going off, you know. I just like to keep that on track. So, keeping that in mind, after last week, you were invited to make that list of people with whom you felt you needed to fix things. I'm sure James invited you to do that. I'll get a chance to listen to his sermon. Part of the reason he was preaching. I'm sure. I'm sure he said it. I'm sure he did. And if he didn't, he meant to say it, and now I'm saying it for him because I have that word of knowledge from him that it should have been said. You should make a list of those that you need to work out things. But maybe, and this is going to be the hardest part, some of the people you have to work out things with, it's not your, you can't work it out. Because you messed up so badly, you can't work it out. It can't be a word from you to fix it because you can't fix what you broke. Because they can't hear you. They can't hear you anymore. You treated them so badly or you said such a bad thing that it's, it can't be your job to do it. You want it to be. Because you want to fix things between you and God and you and the person. But you can't. And sometimes that's coming back to the first step. I'm powerless. I'm powerless to fix this thing I broke. And that's, that's the hard part about following Jesus to me. There's a lot of hard parts of following Jesus. Anybody who told you it was going to be a soft, a little simple thing lied to you. Could have been me, I suppose, some Sunday sermon. Oh, it's going to be like skipping in the flowers of spring on a nice warm day when it's about 73 degrees, a comfortable temperature for all of you, or 93 degrees, a comfortable temperature for me. And, uh, you know, and you're just rising. It's all going to be like that. It's not. It's not going to be simple. And the hardest part to realize is there are things we break that we cannot fix. 
that we have to powerlessly hand them over to God and pray that God will fix them. Or that somebody else has come along who was much better than me and spoken to the person of whom I mentioned in my first story and offered them God in a way they could hear. Because I can't ever offer them God again. At least not as I understand it. Because I don't think they could hear me. They experience me as something other than love. So how can the God of love speak to them through something other than love? And that's just a reality I live with. I don't know what realities you live with. I suspect all of you have things that you're not proud of. I'm not asking you to share them in worship. <laughs> I'm not asking you to stand up. You know, the idea of confession, going to the priest and confessing that rose in Catholicism, originally was a part of worship. Everybody who had done anything wrong got up and talked about it in church. You think that would be a deterrent to doing some of the things you do? I cut people off, and I gave them a special symbol to let them know I was number one. <laughs> I didn't do that, and I don't do that anymore. I'm not promising you I've never done that, because it would be a lie. But it's been so long ago I've forgotten because I'm old. Very old. The sermon's getting old too. So, um, there we go. See, I can admit it. I can own it. I can own it. So, back to James. Not this James, because we get enough of that. <laughs> All of us. Imagine if you had to live with me. Uh, no wonder Linda looked so rested and delighted when I came back from a week away in Albuquerque. Somebody else had to deal with your stuff, James Edward. Um, the last piece of it I wanted to show, share with you. Um, uh, is no longer anywhere I can find it in the, in the text. So it's in there. It's good. If you say you have faith, it, it's there. It was in chapter 2. I just saw it, so that's why I turned the page. Um, if you say that you have faith, but you don't act on it, you, you don't really have faith. It's a lie. And sometimes the faith you have is not to act on your faith. Sometimes the faith you have that tells you you've got to do something, the something you've got to do is not do something. Now, it would be best if you didn't do the thing like I did originally that alienated and, you know, drove the person away. But if you can't do that because that's already been done, then the best you can do is not make it worse by not fixing it yourself. Have you ever tried to be the fixer? If you're like me, I try to fix every mistake I've made. But some of them you can't. And part of spiritual wisdom is learning to discern the two. Figuring out what you can do. Who you're supposed to be. And how you're supposed to be in this world that's tough. Now if any of you are people I've wronged. And I suspect I have in some way or another. I really hope that you can forgive me. And let that go. And if you who are watching our show. <laughs> 
if you happen to have tuned in and you're the person and you know that you're the person I'm talking about, I don't get to apologize, but please forgive me for young arrogance. So, we're so glad we came to church. It was so uplifting and encouraging today, you know. The truth is, all of us will make mistakes. All of us will make mistakes. And that sounds like a condemnation, but it's just a reality. And you know what? God speaks to us in our mistakes and teaches us something in our mistakes. And we learn things from our mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes themselves are a gift. Please, please, dear friends, hear what God might say to you. Hear it and act on it. Or in some cases, hear it and know that it's not yours to act on it. It's someone else's to act on it. But know the overarching piece from the very first verse I read to you. Live by the law of love that is written in Scripture. The law of love that is, you know, you do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. If anything, we know that God is love. And we're meant to embody that. So go and do it. Go and make amends. Go look at your list. Figure out the people you can say you're sorry to and the people you can't. And give it to God, the ones you can't. Because you're